In a world of podcasts about movies, sci-fi, TV, and podcasts about sci-fi, TV, and movies, two women chose to add their voices to the fray. Two sisters. One woman was willing to go to any length to explain away plot holes and bad pacing. I don't think, first of all, much like the entirety of this film, I don't think we're supposed to ask a lot of questions. The other, though, had no such sympathies. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. Together, they joined forces to highlight the good, the bad, and the truly bizarre. This is See You Next Week in Space. Right. Well, today is a miraculous day. As I already said to you in our production call, I managed to spend the whole day out of my apartment yesterday and not be hungover today. Um, So we're already really kicking off uh, at a high point for me personally. Um, But in terms of where I would like to begin today, I feel like we've talked quite a lot on this show, Amy, about the end of the world and how we would hopefully mm. just die in the initial blast rather than survive. Survivalists, we are <laughs> not. <laughs> Indeed. Um, per, I forget now which episode it was recently, but where you decided that like stress just like can't exist in your life and you're not ever going to yeah. seek out anything that causes stress. Yeah. But that being said, um, <clears throat> if let's say we do manage to live out through the initial blast and where we're somehow managing to exist in the post-apocalyptic world. One of the episodes of the show we watched today talks about the different options of end of times living. And Mm. I was wondering if you had any strong thoughts about like which style of post-apocalyptic. I don't know if I remember. Life well, because like, well, I think we've already established survivalism is not for us. Like, we're not going to yeah. to a bunker. We're not yeah. going to a cabin in the woods. Like, that's yeah, not really our jam. No. So then, I guess the other options are things like, um, what was one of the ones like the weird like oil rig converted into sea community. Mm-hmm. Um, so that seemed like that seemed like okay to me as yeah. an option. Like resort oil rig turned into like tropical resort sort of, right? Right, right. So there's yeah. like that option. There's the option mm-hmm. of just new planet entirely, heading off to Mars, mm. etc. Mm. Um, and I'm trying to remember. Oh, and then there was like the in the mountain mm. bunker. <sighs> Oh gosh. Like would you go That's underground? Really I got to be honest, I am not a fan of any of those options. I think I might still kill myself. <laughs> <laughs> Your um, first choice is still to not survive long enough to have to make these choices. <laughs> yeah, cuz I mean all of them I is is there a way that I could like do all of them because it seems like 
uh, definitely I wouldn't, no, I wouldn't do all of them. I take that back. I would not, I'll, I'll eliminate them by the way I would eliminate them. Okay. I would not want to go to another planet that okay. does not seem, I don't do space. Gotcha. <laughs> not for me. Um, not cabin in the woods, like that type of survivalism. It would be a toss up for me, I guess, between resort on an oil rig versus a mountain bunker. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, it, it's tough because I'm not really like a chill at the pool resort type of person. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so that like forever seems tough for me. Yeah. That's a lot of water. That's a lot of being <laughs> on the sea. Um, I don't know about that. I am afraid of the sea, too. I definitely have thalassophobia, so I don't know if that one would work for me. Wait, um, what is the fear of the sea called? Or, yeah, it, thalassophobia, I think. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've literally taken the online test where they, like, show you pictures, and they're like, if these pictures make you uncomfortable, you have it. And I sometimes <laughs> can't make it all the way through. <laughs> like, I can't. What are the pictures? Just it. pictures of, like, open water? Really creepy stuff. Okay. Yeah, like, you're under the water, or you see feet dangling in water. It's kind of oh. like the darkness and deepness yeah. of the sea. Well, we've really, definitely... Truly, like, some of, I mean, we've definitely talked about one of the scariest movies for me to ever watch is Castaway, where there's that shot of the fuselage of the plane going down into the depths of the sea as Tom Hanks is being pulled up by the like emergency raft. Um yeah, oh it's all horrible. That stuff is all like I and that I can watch a movie like that because it is such like a mess of images. But if it's like a really I've seen videos online where it's just a clear, crisp image of a camera going like straight down into the water and yeah. just like going forward and you don't know what's coming horrifying I know don't like I know it. agreed I think for anyway, me so so yeah so that would make a sea life the sea one I think I, I think I would have to go mountain bunker I mean the not being able to like can you come out of the bunker I think so I mean I suppose it depends okay. on what kind well like what the end of the world was it's like are you in the bunker yeah. because like the environment has been contaminated and you need to like be in yeah. there for five years before you can go back out like that's one yeah. thing but if it's just like this is just where we live now is in the mountain. Yeah. And truthfully, okay. like I'm sitting in my basement right now. I could fucking do a bunker. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's my choice. <laughs> yeah, I was I as, think I could do it. As you were talking, I was realizing I don't think I'm I think I'm of the same opinion of you, which is like cabin in the woods out, other planet also out pretty easily. Um yeah. sea sea shanty lifestyle is maybe for me, but I I I think I would actually not that I'm afraid of the ocean in quite the same way, but like I think I would have a very hard time waking up every day and looking <laughs> out my porthole and seeing mm -hmm. the same thing. Like just sea and sky as far as the eye could see. Sure. Like that also, I think would be to be difficult. fair yeah, to be fair, we also have very fair skin. I would burn to a crisp yeah. out yeah, on that, the too. That's an essential, is there still some sunscreen in the post-apocalypse world? Um, but yeah. I was thinking, because also, like, to me, being trapped underground really doesn't 
suit me. Like per our earlier discussion of caves. It's not great. Um, yeah. I don't see myself really wanting to go down that road as an option. It's not great. Um, especially in that scenario where so I what are you where, left like, with? you're stuck there for like some amount of time while you're waiting to have the world return Sure, and like what are your something. provisions? Like are you yeah. starving? Cause I hope not. I would be bored. I mean, I would also just be so bored. I know. I know. <laughs> in, in the end of times, I would be so bored. Because I know. Because like everything. imagine that all your technology shuts down. Right. Everything that you do that fills your time, even the stuff that you hate doing, at least it fills time. Like you go to work. Right. You go to the gym. You do this. You do that. And then. I do think I would get in amazing shape, but I would be bored. <laughs> Well, I don't know that I'd be in amazing shape. I'd probably be slightly skinnier just because it'd be less food, I think. Um, but I might right. also get I feel like what else for that reason. Yeah. Um, I just feel like, no, and I, I guess I, it's not like I had access to a gym. Yeah, I well, you'd, there'd surely be like heavy things to lug or something. Like, yeah, you'd probably have to be doing a lot of like manual labor or yeah stuff. It's and like per, the, it's like kind of like going back to beginning times yeah and per <laughs> our discussion about prey i'm not even sure i can lift 80 pounds so like this is a problem <laughs> um i think though for me it, this is not depicted in any of the things we watched this week but like i'm feeling like what i might enjoy as an end of times plan is kind of like mm-hmm. some kind of like island scenario um or like swiss family robinson style tree house thing sure um well do you remember the end of spoiler alert do you remember the end of bird box did you ever watch that uh is that the one with sandra bullock yeah and they have to like wear blindfolds or something no i never saw it oh well, I guess I won't tell you. Do you want to know the end? <laughs> sure. Fine. I, I don't see myself well, seeing it. It's been out for a long time and I've not seen it yet. I don't think I'll yeah. see it now. Yeah. So spoiler alert, everyone go watch it if you must. But um, And that's not necessarily a recommendation for me. But the uh, it's that apocalypse is something where... It, there's they don't really explain it but like you there you see something and it makes you kill yourself so that's why you have to oh, be blindfolded outside okay so there's that so they they end up going to like a sort of sanctuary place in I wouldn't it's kind of the woods kind of the mountains it's kind of like both but it's mm. like this big what used to be like an old school I think it's like okay. a big commune kind of like that and it's just kind of whoever survived and who can get there, whoever figure, figures that out. That seemed kind of nice. I mean, it was like hell on earth to get there. She has to like cross sure. over and like it's a whole thing. But it seemed kind of nice. I don't know much of the details because that's when the movie ends. But like it seemed kind of peaceful and just like chill. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the thing is, I was just thinking this as you're talking like, I love living in my apartment and I love the city I live in and all that, but I would be so creeped out to be in like a post-apocalyptic city. Like, yeah, I like, cause either you're going to have like weird crowds of everyone's depressed and miserable, or it's going to be totally empty. I was thinking like, imagine if you walked out on the street right Uh now and it was just empty. 
tea and like you walked around mm. and no one's there. I kind of like it. <laughs> um, For a second I like it, but then it yeah. does get creepy. I mean, it's, it's actually the feeling that is nice sometimes when you stay in town. Like I remember when I lived in DC, it was like this, like over the Christmas holidays and people would all like go yeah. back to wherever they li- like to see their family. So it, the city would empty out right. in this nice way. Like, I don't mean right. that. This is, like, literally, like, tumbleweeds going through Go a major, on. you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I, I just know that probably whatever my post-apocalyptic plan will be, I will have to get out of the city. Like, I'll have to be somewhere yeah, else I agree. away from that. Um, no, I agree. And, I mean, I think it's been proven in most, if not all, apocalyptic tales that cities... You don't want to hang are out there. The dangerous, yeah, yeah. The yeah. Cities are dangerous. That's usually where like ground zero is. <laughs> like, right, right. You gotta, you gotta leave. Yeah. So, hello everyone. Welcome to see you next week <laughs> in space. Uh, I am Sarah Walsh, and I'm here with my sister and co-host Amy Walsh. And Amy, why don't you tell everyone what we are talking about today? <sighs> well, we are talking about a show I had never heard of but uh a show called love death and robots um it has been on from uh since 2019 and we watched two episodes because they are short um, very short indeed which i will say you that is a plus (laughs) yeah that is a big plus from moi um (laughs) We watched two episodes, one called Swarm, and the other was called Three Robots, Exit Strategies, um, both from season three, and they are both released in May of 2022. Correct. Um, so the IMDb description of this show is the, uh, as follows. A collection of animated short stories that span various genres, including science fiction, fantasy, horror, and comedy. And I would say probably... For the episodes we watched today, I would call them both science fiction. Um, mm-hmm. One maybe sci-fi horror and one sci-fi comedy. I think was would would be how I would characterize what we watched this week. Mm-hmm. Um, this show has gotten quite a lot of accolades. It's really quite highly regarded because, um, as I was saying in our production mm-hmm. call, like. The production value on this is really quite high. Like the all different kinds yes. of uh, like how would I say it? So it says it's animated short stories, but even the different types of animation used in each episode mm-hmm. are quite unique to itself. Like yeah. different approaches yeah. to how to do animation, different looks coming out of the animation. Um, mm-hmm. Some that's like. Almost, like, I would say the Swarm episode was animation that was almost, like, a bit Uncanny Valley kind of appeal. Like, almost realish looking. Um, yeah, I would say the animation on that one was my favorite part about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is, I'm glad you could find something that you sort of liked about it. Um, so, also, even though, I think there, now I can't remember, I think there was another show that we watched like this that was an anthology where, like, there's kind of an overarching showrunner person, but then each individual episode is made by slightly different teams of people. Mm -hmm. Um, So -hmm. because the animation is quite different and stylized, each episode is 
has typically is developed and created by different teams of animators in different countries. Mm. Um, also, quite a lot of the stories depicted in these episodes are based on pre-existing short stories um, that are adapted to animation. So in the case of Swarm, that's based on a story by Bruce Sterling. And in the case of Three Robots, that's a short story uh, originally devised by John Scalzi. Um, mm. This, all, for all that it's like got its accolades, I mean, I'm not surprised you'd never heard of it. I ran across it on Netflix because I watch science fiction stuff, so it was like pushed at me. Yeah, um, it was. Yeah, it was definitely not recommended to me. <laughs> yeah, I'm not surprised, but um, you know, like it's gotten a lot of recognition for its production value but like it certainly isn't like making a splash anywhere um and I think you can also tell that just because again this is one of those ones where there's there's not as much internet coverage of this as I would have imagined there might be yeah that's Um, true and I think it's because like even even the most kind of like um open-minded or forgiving audience for science fiction, fantasy, horror stuff, you know, whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. Sometimes stuff is just even niche, even in those niche places. Like, people who like horror might still be like, oh, this thing is a bit too whatever for me. And I I also feel like, uh, I guess we'll talk about who did the voices of stuff, but I feel like with animation... Some of the animation things that, like, pop are because the people who do the voices are famous already or they sure. have, like, they're able to kind of promote it via the them. But when they're more, you know, I don't know, maybe, I, mean, I feel like it, the the animation aspect may, may make it more difficult to, like, market or, like, get out there. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Well, we've talked about this with other things, too, that animation is not for everyone, you know, regardless of anything. Yeah, that part, too. Um, So, and in particular, I guess what really sets this apart or what perhaps makes it potentially even more kind of niche upon niche is that this is a TV show that is um, based loosely on a concept coming out of um, a 1981 animated science fiction film called Heavy Metal, um, which I've never seen, um, but I can picture the cover of it specifically because it was always, like, in the video store. (laughs) Um, Mm. Oh, yeah. And so Heavy Metal, I guess, is... um, It's a movie-length production, but it's full of different short story animation things like this. So... And I guess there was always interest in trying to reboot Heavy Metal, the movie, um, but that never came to fruition. So um, the production team for Love, Death, and Robots decided they were going to go for a serial format kind of inspired by mm-hmm. that movie. Um, mm-hmm. So I think in, since we've watched two episodes, I think what I want to do is we'll talk about the cast of the more depressing one first, and then we'll talk about <laughs> okay. the more depressing one first, and then we'll okay. turn to the lighter one second, which is, as I said, the way I consumed these as well. 
Um, and I so did can, not, and it I was know. a mistake. Yes, and so then we can like end on a high note uh, with okay, the, sounds good. Uh, more lighthearted story, um, and mm. it just shows kind of where we are for the for love, death, and robots as a whole. That when we hear what the lighthearted story is, that's lighthearted compared to <laughs> right. other stuff that we're talking. about. Yeah, that's true. Um, mm-hmm. So in the in the show or in the episode called Swarm. There are basically only two characters, um, although I guess you could nominally say three, but all played by two people. Um, there is mm. Dr. Mirny, uh, voiced by Rosario Dawson, who we've actually spoken okay, well, about. already I've clearly, I'm going to have to walk back the fact that it's not like known people are doing the voices, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Rosario Dawson, we've talked about her. We talked about her specifically in the context of the adventures of Pluto Nash. Um, so we don't need to talk about her again. Um, then the other character is named Afriel, and that's played by or voiced by a 50-year-old Jason George, who I didn't specifically recognize in any way. I mean, because mm-hmm. also, like... This is the one that, to me, I would describe the animation in some senses as Uncanny Valley because, like, the character voiced by Rosario Dawson sort of looked a bit like Rosario Dawson, and the character voiced by Jason George sort of looked a bit like Jason George. Um, now, when you say uncan- Uncanny Valley, is that does that mean something? <laughs> I don't really know what you mean by that. Yeah. So that, actually, let me see if I can, because I think I looked this up once to figure out, like, where this um, phrase came from. Um, I just looked up his, I just looked up what he looked like. I could, I didn't, wasn't sure who that was. And it definitely looked like him. They yeah. made the animation look like him for sure. Yeah. So, um... So the phrase uncanny valley, when people use that, it's used specifically when we're talking about efforts to create things that look humanoid. So you can use the phrase uncanny valley. You can talk about, for example, like a a certain style of mannequin might have an uncanny valley quality. Okay. Um, Like animation that's meant to mimic human beings can be uncanny valley okay. um i'm trying okay. to think of other that makes ro- sense. robots that are meant to look like human beings might have an uncanny valley uh quality to them um and basically um what that i didn't know this part the uncanny valley the reason why it's called valley is it's actually to do with like they've um developed like um a mathematical equation to ca- to capture when people like something and when people dislike something um hmm. and basically um on the one axis is familiarity and then on the other axis is human likeness and so as things become more familiar um and they're, they become closer to looking more like human beings, there's a funny mm-hmm. little dip that happens where all of a sudden people are like, I don't like the look of that thing. Um, uh-huh. 
And that's what the Uncanny Valley is referencing to is that dip in, oh, the, in the curve kind of of the wave of like when people mm. are like, I don't like what okay. that looks like. And, and I can't, okay. and also like, I can't quite tell you why I don't like it, but I don't like it. <laughs> sure, um, sure, sure. That's so, funny. I've so never that's heard that before. What, yeah, that's what Uncanny Valley means. Um, and I'm sure if you did a Google you of did- just uncanny valley and like then looked at the images that came up with it you'd be like okay i yeah i see what we're talking I get about it. here yeah um well you, i will say that you did leave off uh jason george's most important credit which is he was in one episode of friends in 2001 oh, great <laughs> perfect excellent and i um, remember exactly who he was who was he somebody's like date or something no, he plays a fireman and a oh, fireman in one episode. Okay. Um, well, this only proves what I was saying, which is like there's many people would know who this guy is because primarily they would know him from Grey's Anatomy and Station 19, of which he's been a, like a regular cast member for years at this point. Like there's like mm-hmm. hundreds of episodes of both of those shows. Um, but... He also, even before that, he was just like a big TV actor. He's got a lot of credits yeah. all in TV for the most part. Um, but I personally was not aware of him. Um, but anyway, uh, the move, the show is, this one was tough for me to even take notes about because there aren't really like different locations that they are engaged in because they're all just moving throughout what is described as the swarm. Um, Mm -hmm. the very first opening bit, however, does happen on a spaceship and Afriel is talking to his, um, like alien hosts. Like basically these are the people who are running the ship that he's taking to the swarm. Um, Mm -hmm. and these are some really unusual looking uh, aliens (laughs) is all I can say. I mean, I know that aliens are meant to look unusual, kind of anyway but these ones yeah these ones like i don't even know how i can describe they like their bodies looked a bit like a horse um Mm, i'm trying to remember even i i and also there are two aliens in it and i couldn't tell if they were meant to be the same species or not because they looked different from each other um, but, like, but, are the two main people aliens? No, the two main people are human beings. Are people. Okay. Um, but, but they're just, like, floating around. Well, right, because they're in space. So, like, because um, Afriel is basically, he tells, like, the aliens drop him off. They've given him a ride uh-huh. out to the swarm. And he's going to be, he, he's meant to study the swarm for 600 days. And then, oh, God, I know I would not want to do this because quit. I would quit. I mean, it's one thing to like we've talked a lot. Is about it a space. job? <laughs> I mean, I guess I because he he calls himself Doctor Afriel. She calls herself Doctor Mirny. They must be okay. So they're academics like of researchers some persuasion. Yeah. yeah. Um, like we've talked about space problems. We've talked about apocalypse. Like <laughs> this is a different kind. Like I mean. I will say I enjoyed the visuals of how they were, like, moving through this swarm because they don't have gravity. Um, Yeah. And so that was kind of cool-seeming in some ways. But 
at the same time, I was like, but it's, how would I put it? It looked, just based on the clothing that they were wearing, it looked like it was very hot and muggy in there. Like, Mm -hmm. everything seemed, like, slightly wet to the touch, Um, which is gross. Yeah. Um, or just not it's for that me. alien, like, anyway. Goop. It's like the alien. Oh, there was so much alien goop. There was so <laughs> much alien goop in this one because, like, yeah. so he he slides into the swarm and Dr. Mirny welcomes him. And I, I guess she's been living in this swarm for some amount of time, sending research her research back to mm. to wherever Earth. Some university, I don't know. Um, And she's describing, so we also, it's like, so basically I would say most of what this episode, most of the information conveyed in this episode is conveyed visually rather than by what people are saying. Um, Yeah. So there's like a lot of movement and life forms inside of what is being called a swarm. It's like... How would I describe it? Like the swarm itself looks like as if it's this giant set of caves almost um, mm-hmm. in which yeah, life it exists. It sort of seemed, you know what it, yeah, you know what it sort of seemed like to me at one point I was trying, I wasn't paying that close attention or trying to like look deeper, but I felt like at moments it almost was like similar to like living, this is going to sound weird, like inside a body or inside like some type of system like that where it's like all these like tunnels and. Yeah. It's kind of like um, if you, I think this is a movie we've not done for the podcast, but I may make us do at some point. Fantastic The beginning of Look Who's Talking. Yes, the beginning of Look Who's Talking, Fantastic Voyage, where you're shrunk down real small and you go into a human body and then you, and because you're so small, you can see all like the enzymes and the cells and the different, you know, the different bacteria. Wait, what's Fantastic Voyage? Fantastic Voyage is the one where it's like, it's not the one with um, Martin Short. That's called, we did watch that. Um, Yeah. Fantastic. Voyage, I think, yeah, it's 1966, um, and okay. it's, oh, we, I think we should actually watch this, this is, this is hilarious, but yeah, they get, um, basically they, like, develop a little tiny, tiny, tiny submarine that can, like, go into a person's body, um, so, yeah, you're right, that's what the swarm has that feeling of as well, is, because it is, yeah. it's, it is a, Sim, and that's what Dr. Muni exp- is explaining as they're kind of floating and jumping and moving from place to place throughout the swarm is that um, various life forms over m- millions of years have entered into this structure and then effectively become part of the structure. They've become symbiotic- symbiotically linked. And so mm-hmm. one of the things she says is like, see these like kind of, I don't know what she calls them. I call them space bugs. Um, and they're kind of like jetting through the swarm at various points. And the space, she's like, there's evidence that these space bugs once were a life form that like lived outside of the space swarm. Bugs. Also, space bugs hate it. 
I don't like a space bug. We learned that in Starship Troopers. You don't want a bug from outer space. Well, also in also and also in Men in Black, also not good. Also but, Men in Black. Um, I feel like there's actually a lot of space bug discussion. Yeah. Um, and yeah. I did have a very large bug that I discovered in my home yesterday while I was getting ready to leave, and Ooh. that was a little bit concerning. Okay, okay, wait, 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 wait. I have to ask you a question. I have seen so many videos online of. Uh, like spiders in Australia. Yeah. I don't. Some I cannot. I cannot tell if it's real. I can't tell if something <laughs> is photoshopped or something is doctored. But if if any of those I found out were real, and I live somewhere remotely close to where that could happen, I I don't know what I would do. And I'm not even someone who's like that squeamish about bugs. Like I live in New York City. Like I can do bugs. But a spider that is, like, the size of your entire wall, no thank you. <laughs> I mean, I will say, like, um, in when I was in Sydney, I had more of a spider home or something. Where, like, and I were would, they big? They weren't that big. They weren't, like, any bigger than what I was used to any other place I've ever lived. I also sent you a picture of that oh, okay. Um, which like I learned in your house. Yeah. Which I learned is called like, um, a great green bush cricket yesterday. Yeah. Um, but no, it was very happily cause that little leaf I just sent like, that was a leaf off of a plant that I was, I was like, Oh, that leaf is dying. I better cut it off and put it outside. And then as I had cut it off, I saw, Oh, there's a whole bug in here <laughs> like living its best life. Um, so then I just put it outside. Um, but no, when I was in Sydney, spiders were not. Oh, that's like when it's green and it's like that, that doesn't scare me. Yeah. Like I don't want it in my house necessarily. But yeah. No, but I'm no, in Melbourne, like... I've not really run into spiders in this way I did in Sydney. Um, but okay. even so, in any of Australia, I've yet to run into anything that like seems <gasps> super. Scary well, I just literally Googled Australian spiders and holy shit. Oh my God. <laughs> oh my God. Like, I can't tell if these are real, some of these pictures. Look up Australian spiders and go straight I'm to Google Images. Doing literally it. the first one. I would kill myself. Wait, the one that's just like this. It's on like, uh, it's on like oh, a, a yellowish spider. Wall. Yeah, Huntsman spider. That is a common one. Is that fucking for real? <gasps> a common? Yeah, that, that that thing is huge. Yeah, that's a common spider that people. <gasps> I definitely, I never had it in my house, but I I have <gasps> seen people have photos of such an item. What show up? The fuck? Wait, but like, is oh, <laughs> are you gonna be ill? <laughs> that is horrifying. That's literally horrifying. Do you have to like live closer to like? Where do they live? Do they live in cities? Yeah, they do live in cities. I remember when I did live in... <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, when I lived in Sydney, I once was walking down some street and, like, noticed... I was, like, just kind of staring off into space. And then I, like, looked more closely at a telephone pole. I was like, what's weird about that <gasps> telephone pole? I don't know what's happening. And then I realized that it had become, like, 
you know how like there's Moving. like a telephone pole and then there's like some often like a bit of like metal or something that goes like triangular like diagonal off it yeah kind of thing so in yeah, that space sure. between the telephone pole and like the metal rod thing was this massive spider web and luckily like the spider wasn't home when I walked by but I was like oh man oh that this I was like the spider that lives on that has to be a it was very that large spider like I um, like I there again I am not that creeped out by bugs like overall like you know they really it doesn't bother me but a big fucking spider like that no 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 that is, like, I mean and some of the ones I've seen in videos like jump and like fly yeah. and bullshit like that well I no, do thank you. I did have like a very uh Australia story where like because I didn't know about whether or not, like, how poisonous they were. I did once have this, like, situation where a spider was in my home and I felt like I needed to kill it. Because nowadays, if I find, like, as I just said, when I find a bug in my home, I usually just, like, gently try and get it out without killing it if I can. Um, it's very nice of you. Well, I just am like, ah, it's not really for me to smash you. And I don't know, like, now that, like, every species is dying off in droves, maybe I shouldn't do it. So, like, I try and just, like, scoot them outside. But um, mm-hmm. this was before that time. And then also I was like, I don't know enough about what are poisonous spiders and what are normal spiders here. So I, I'll just err on the side of caution. So I had this weird bug spray that's meant to kill, like, a spider on contact. But it kept <gasps> jumping it out of the way. And oh. so then... And I also think that, that the can of spray was kind of old because it like, so in the end, what I had to do was like the spray didn't kill the spider. What ended up killing the spider was it got so drowned in this pile of like liquidy, foamy nonsense. <laughs> like I was like, I don't think this is how this is supposed to work. But then yeah. because well. it had jumped around so much, then like the entire like one side like of my living room was covered. It was just wet. In this like. <laughs> bug spray juice <laughs> I was like uh, well I guess how I better big was clean it? this up before going to work um no it was wasn't, it big like those pictures no no that's the other thing is okay. like though they can get that big but they often <gasps> do not <laughs> like I don't know why it like literally makes me ill thinking about a spider that big I would leave I would leave my house like I would I would leave my house like I'd be like I gotta get out of here this is no longer an appropriate until- place for me to live like but and I would oh my gosh I would hope that I could like get an exterminator like immediately but and I've got like animals am I supposed to leave them there like get eaten by the the spider because I feel like that spider looks bigger than ginger well it wouldn't be but now here's the thing in this bringing it back to the swarm in this case the space bugs which are the size of human beings um Dr. Mirny has trained them to throw up into her hand so that then she can eat their throw up. <sighs> um, okay. And that's where we get the I... this alien space goo this in this episode, or at least that's one of the I didn't like that. No, I didn't care for that either. She also acquaints Afriel with the queen, who is like, I guess, kind of in the center of the swarm, and they're like all the space bugs are like bringing various stuff 
to her. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, at, and then we get like kind of some time and Afriel is explaining that the reason he's come to study the swarm is to try and understand how all these different symbiotic species exist together in such harmony um, because essentially what he wants to do is like build a, a swarm for humanity to use, I, though I don't really get what humanity's going to do with it. Like, I don't fully understand mm. that. Um, but when he explains this to Dr. Mirny, she's initially horrified because she's like, this is like this perfect functioning ecosystem and it's it can't be rec- replicated, and it certainly shouldn't be. It certainly should not be replicated for human exploitation. Like, mm-hmm. um, but he explains like, well, even your own research says that none of these species are actually sentient. Like, they would they would be doing work. Like, basically, I guess what he's trying to say is like the space bugs are like worker bees, and so. Mm they would continue to do this either way, irrespective of anything. So why not harness that for the use of humanity in some capacity? Again, I'm never quite clear here what what they would be using it for. But right. um, nonetheless, that's his plan. Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. Mirny eventually is like, okay... I guess that's fine because they they aren't sentient. There's nothing I've seen that suggests that they would be aware that that was happening. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. again, I'm not sure. I don't know. Like to me, I'm like it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't matter if the space bugs know they're being exploited or not. They're still being exploited. Like true. I don't like. It's the same thing. Well, I guess most. I feel. Well, I was just thinking about, oh, I was just thinking about exploitation and exploitation in general. I feel like the the definition of it is the um the victim is not aware of it, right? Like, because if someone was like, "Yeah, I'm being exploited," oh my gosh, I can't speak. I, I'm being exploited, and I'm okay with it. Then that like negates the exploitation. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Yeah, the very concept itself suggests that the exploited doesn't know that that's happening. Right. Um, and so right. It, so sentience doesn't matter anyway. Um, right. So, but this will prove important later. So then there's like a montage of them learning how to control the various animals and life forms within the swarm they're interacting with the swarm, researching um, all these things. They also have sex, which I didn't, I, I didn't know why that happened, but yeah, WTF is up with that? I mean, it was kind of cool because we've definitely talked about this before. Like, um, I think it was in um, Spaceship Truckers where we had an anti-grab oh sex scene. Um, That's or why similar. they did it. They wanted to do like um, the. They wanted to do that. They wanted to yes. do the, like, how do we animate this? That right. I, Like, that's why they did it. Right. Yeah. And so, um, so that all happens. Some time passes. It's unclear how much. Um, and then a space bug, like, 
some, but it has to have been a fair amount of time because Afriel has now figured out a different way to communicate with these space bugs than even Dr. Mirny had worked out. And so one of the space bugs comes to him and says something like, where is it? Oh, I had it in my handwritten notes. It says something basically like food giver, not give food. Um, and I think what that means is that there's something wrong with the queen. So oh. the space bug uh, tells Afriel that there's something wrong with the queen. And when he starts to go seek out the central space where the queen is, that's when they have this like weird fight scene where he's being attacked by these various space bugs, um, mm-hmm. which didn't seem good. Like I was no. not a fan. And it, although it was also similarly interesting to see like anti-gravity fight scene as well, like how right. that was working. Um, Again, I feel like that it, they were trying to like fit in. Right. It's a short. It's a short thing, but they're trying to fit in certain visual. Yeah. yeah. Things. Yeah. So as a result of this attack, Afriel blacks out, and when he comes to, he is at the center of the swarm. He is near. He is like at the queen's space. And do you want to describe what has happened to Doctor Mirny and the queen? <sighs> I wish that I could. I have no clue. <laughs> she was like, I'm trying to think what I would liken it to. I don't want to do like a, a religious. Um, she sort of looked to me, looked like, <laughs> what is, I don't know. You know the um, the visual of the guy that's like the ex He's got his arms up and his legs out, and he's like, I don't know what that. Oh, that Saint called. Andrew. Is that what that is? The, I think the, so. I don't know if. It, I guess I'll. I'm not sure how to describe it, but like, but the but she was like melded, sort of, with the queen? Question mark. Yeah. And she was like, she had like shit on her head that like. Blood. There was. It was like bloody, but she was. It was like tentacly. I don't yeah. know what really was happening, but she was like connected with her, and she was like both arms up, both legs down, like yeah. In some yeah, type it of is weird, called a cross like, body of, meld. Yeah, when when you're talking about like the X form, it's called a cross of Saint Andrew. Um, oh, okay. And also sadly there's something called the St Andrew's cross spider in Australia but don't Golly. Oh my god. Um, I'm going to. But yes, so she is like splayed out like this and there's various even more like space goop and mucus and things happening. And she has like been melded to the queen um and there's also like tentacles going directly into her brain like her like the top yeah. of her skull is gone and she's got Ick. like I did not like that. Yeah. And like her eyes now are like just blanks but she's starting to talk to Afriel. And I think actually oh yeah cuz when he first sees her he throws up and <laughs> That's then there and then the throw up like floats in the air, which I also thought I was like, oh, that's good attention to detail. <laughs> um, so then the swarm 
Because now, like, the swarm is speaking to him through Mirny's voice and body. And it tells him, call me the swarm. And it explains to him that she became aware of their plans to take samples of the swarm and bring it elsewhere and try to exploit it. And basically, she explains that, like, this has happened before. Every species that you see here was something like you that came here and tried to control this. Um, and I, and I, or rather the swarm, has always been able to turn them into my symbionts, basically. Um, mm-hmm. And she explains, and I thought this was really interesting. He's like, well, you clearly have intelligence like you've taken over Mirny's body you're speaking to me you have her memories like you're and she's like oh this is just kind of um a temporary solution to your the problem of you being here um intelligence is actually antithetical to survival she she says like being intelligent does not help you survive and the point of the swarm is that to survive. is true yeah yeah it's really mm-hmm. true um And so she explains that like all the other species that he's interacted with in the swarm have had a similar outcome where when they present a threat, the swarm uh, creates, uh, how do I want to say, like creates a more intense version of whatever the enemy species is. And then the swarm's new and improved version eventually eradicates the hostile version and then once the threat is over, everything kind of returns to this totally like balanced, copacetic, um, non-intelligent form of existence. So she explains that she now, she says to him, so basically you and Mirny have to breed. I'm going to use you guys to breed the new type of human being that is going to eradicate the rest of humanity. Um, which seems bad, needless to say. Yeah. Um, and Afriel says that, first of all, he refuses to be used for this breeding program. Um, and then the final kind of thing he has to say is that he refuses to believe that human beings will end up as parasites and symbionts inside of the swarm. Um, But that's it. That's the end of that episode. So we don't ever see what comes of that or not as the case, maybe. Um, So that's episode, first episode discussed here. Um, um, Should we do Yons and Iron? Let's save Yons and Iron for the end. So, um, okay. Next one, much more upbeat, lighthearted. It's about the <laughs> apocalypse, though. So, you know, that's the yep. realm we're living in. Um, this, this episode is called Three Robots Exit Strategies. Um, and this is actually a, a sequel to the very first premiere episode of this show in season one, where we see the three robots um, examining a post-apocalyptic city. Um, in mm. this case... Um, they're now there to. They're now in different settings, looking at the different ways that human beings navigated the apocalypse. So, 
Um, the three robots are KVRC, that's the orange cute robot, um, and that's <laughs> voiced by Josh Brenner, um, who is in a variety of things, most notably the internship, Silicon Valley, and most recently, The Last of Us. Um, hmm. He is also in a movie that I can't even imagine what this means, but it's called The Condom Killer. Um, so hmm. think of that what you will. Oh. Um, Nothing good is coming up. <laughs> I, I don't... Yeah, it's got a lot of imagery I'm not keen to think about in not there. Great. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, then, but curious. I am curious. curious all the same. I'm not going to yeah. lie. Yeah. <laughs> um, then we have... The Xbot 4000, that's the white robot voiced by mm-hmm. um, Gary Anthony Williams, who has a shocking 244 credits, the first of which begins wow. in 1991. And uh, Whoa. because he does voice work and front of camera stuff, we've seen this. Mm-hmm. Like anybody who does voice work usually has like hundreds of credits. Lots of credits, yeah. Um, so that's his thing, especially, I mean, he's been working for 30 years, so... Um, he is in a movie called an accidental zombie parentheses named Ted. Um, (laughs) don't know what that is either, but, um, also intriguing could be interesting. Um, Uh and then the third robot I described as looking pyramidal, 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 anyway, like a pyramid. Um, yeah. That's Elena, and that's voiced by Katie Lowe's, um, who mostly, again, is a person that I didn't recognize super much because she's in the Shondaland world of Scandal. She plays mm. Quinn Perkins on Scandal. Um, she also is a mm. character in Inventing Anna, uh, which I did watch and sort of remember her from uh. there. Um, hmm. But, so those are her, like, most obvious, biggest gigs. Um, she also is in a movie called Ghost oh, Phone. her. Yeah. Ghost Phone, Phone Calls from the Dead. Another great <laughs> movie. I don't know. I mean, there's so much one could wonder about these films. Ghost um, Phone, Phone Calls from the Dead. That sounds like a Twilight Zone again. Yeah, it, is. it probably is, where you're talking to your weird grandma on the ghost phone. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then finally, we get a brief appearance by a cat, um, and that's a callback to the first uh, appearance of the three robots, and that's done by Chris Parnell, um, who we've oh. talked about before as well. Hmm. He's a good as, voice actor. I mean, I, he, he, he's I mean, a good he's actor, but so his much voice stuff. is good. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in terms of the show itself, uh, we are being walked through a variety of different options that humans used to respond to the end of the world. The first place that the robots land is in a clearing where they're kind of, we get a little bit of exposition about how they're continuing their studies of Earth. And specifically, they want to understand the nature of the apocalypse and how humans arrived at it so that they can avoid Mm -hmm. it themselves. Um, So we don't... Pretty smart. Yeah, pretty smart. We don't fully know the story of what happened to human beings um, or how 
sentient robots came on the scene. We get some clues to that in this episode. But basically, like, they all look very different. They're all different types of robots. But I guess we're meant to infer that there's some kind of robot culture that exists not on Earth, um, but has origins on Earth and with humanity. And Mm -hmm. so they are trying to use... Uh, humanity's failings as lessons for themselves. Um, mm-hmm. So they start off at a survivalist's cabin, mm-hmm. um, and whereupon it's mostly Elena explaining that, like, um, as the as society was like, she has a whole bit that's actually quite funny. It's like as society started to crumble, these particular humans um, didn't trust the government. They decided they were going to kind of run away and uh, stockpile goods and, like, totally disconnect from society. Um, As a result of this particular lifestyle and the way it was meant to function, um, they ended up hunting all animals to extinction. Um, Mm -hmm. So then that was a problem. Needless to say, like the survival right. plan starts to fall apart at that point. Um, yeah. And I do, I, I just wrote this in my handwritten notes. The white robot, X, the Xbox 4000, finds like a, a skeleton with a hat that says like, I lubricate my gun with a liber- the tears of liberals or something, or like the <laughs> teardrops of liberals. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh boy, oh boy. Um, yep. And they had some. There were some funny little one-liners, but I can't. I I should have like written them down. I can't remember now. But there's a couple little things they said that was quite funny. There was a bunch of like the dialogue in this was what was funny. It was just like constant mm-hmm. going on of nonsense. Yeah. Um. Now, unsurprisingly, when it came to these particular preppers who were in their cabins and doing whatever, um, as resources start to dwindle as the animals are hunted to extinction unsurprisingly they start attacking each other they start raiding each other's cabins for provisions and goods um and so they end up killing themselves as a result of these interactions that is this that is sort of to me this a scarier part of the apocalypse than whatever the like inciting incident is because it always comes to that in these like apocalypse shows and movies is like when we turn on each other yeah and I feel like I already have trust issues (laughs) (laughs) so I feel like that could get dicey for me yeah no I mean it does certainly pretty much every rendering of a post-apocalyptic world that we've ever talked about on this show or I've ever watched on my own or anything you've run across as well um does suggest that while the initial thing that sets the apocalypse in motion is bad and should be feared Mm -hmm. certainly um Mm -hmm. the thing to fear in once you get to the post-apocalypse is other human beings like there's a totally they're the ones that you need to have barbed wire for and like uh, oh, this yeah. was one of the bits in this was like KVRC is like, oh, and here's their blood pit. And they're like, don't call it a blood pit. <laughs> and But what it was was like a 
yeah, like a, a literal hole in the ground that the guy had set up as a booby trap with like, you know, like spikes sticking up. Yeah. And there was a skeleton in there. And <laughs> and like both Xbot and Elena are like, well, there's no blood anymore. And it's like, yeah, but there was blood in here once. So it's a blood pit. Um, so that's one version. And Elena goes on to say, this is like what the poorest of the poor did mm. um, to respond to the end of the world. There were other people, very wealthy people, who had a very different approach. And so that brings us then to what they're calling the seastead, um, mm-hmm. where various quite wealthy people converted oil rigs and probably other similar types of conveyances um, into these kind of floating aqua cities Um they t- talk specifically about how this is its own sovereign nation. Um, <laughs> and then the plan, apparently, was to survive on fish that were caught in the water. Um, now, it just so happens that what they, the people, apparently, who went to these seasteads were like your tech billionaire types, mm. um, very tech-savvy. And so, as Elaine explains, they became quite dependent upon their AI, which ran Mm. these facilities and were also responsible for catching the fish that they were meant to Mm. survive on. What happened to the AI, Amy? Well, it turned on them and they (laughs) (laughs) they got sick of being the slaves and it became, you know, just like the humans turn on each other. The the robots turned on these billionaires, which right. doesn't make me too sad. No, I can't say but it cons- is scary. Considering, again, as we've discussed, you and I should already be dead by now. But like, um, <laughs> that's the thing. But yes, I don't have a lot of love lost for these billionaires who ran off to the sea and like, kind of were like, "Go fuck yourself, humanity." Um, right. But, and created their own sovereign nation. Right, create their own sovereign nations that's run by pieces AI. Pieces of shit. And Ew. as they explain, like, because it's so AI-focused, like, none of these people actually had any practical skills whatsoever. Um, so when the AI You began, know what they should have done, though? And now I'm thinking, what actually this show should have done is the billionaires all go off to Mars. Well, that's... We're, you're getting there. You're anticipating where we're going. <laughs> so so they see this seastead that has failed. And in fact, they even kind of say like, oh, is this the start? When this AI takes on its own personality and starts to refuse to help them, is this what begins our revolution? Um, like the mm-hmm. machine uprising, which we don't learn about, but is mentioned. Oh, um, there was though. Like, didn't they have that one robot? I will say this, this robot lady in this seastead place they that they found or something she was a hologram or i'm not really sure yeah but um she at one point she flicks them off and calls them like skin sacks or something and that's great yeah no she's like you're fucking disgusting go get your own fish you (laughs) like skin sacks like or meat sacks or something like she's like no thanks Um, so needless to say, the people on those, uh, various sea steads also all die in the end. Mm -hmm. We then are taken to 
the kind of government issue mountain bunker. These are where um, like kind of the super powerful, not necessarily the super wealthy, but the super powerful hide away Mm -hmm. in the lead up to the end of the world. Um, Unfortunately here, um, the food, like the hydroponic food that they plan to grow underground got some sort of, I can't remember exactly, but it like had some sort of mold or some sort of pest and then all their food options disappeared. Um, and then they began Yikes. to practice something that they call extreme democracy, um, which is what? I forget. that It sounds scary, though. Oh, it is because it's cannibalism. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so we see that they like there are like skeletons all sitting around a dining table whereupon there's also a human skeleton okay, on I a have big a serving tray. <laughs> okay, I have a question. This is dark. How <laughs> I don't know if you'll be able to answer this. How hungry would you have to be? to eat a person well hmm. they're cooked sure and maybe they don't look like a person anymore like obviously it's I'm no that's to, actually like, a very chew important off somebody's part. leg yeah that's a very important yeah. <laughs> part of cannibalism is you take away everything that makes the meat remind you that it's a human meat yeah but how hungry do you have to be um quite hungry I think and (laughs) this is and I mean like I'm a bit hungry now but I am not feeling like I need to go to cannibalism quite yet like I'm not quite to that okay um maybe I should ask you this question sometime when you're like fully full and then you could like but I guess the thing that is uh so I actually know a bit more about cannibalism than I would have ever imagined to know because of various episodes in last podcast on the left that have involved Involved like various circumstances of cannibalism, and mm-hmm. I just actually they just did a like couple part series on the tragedy of the Essex, which was a whaling ship that got lost at sea, and they then went to went to cannibalism to survive. Yeah, the thing that seems like I probably would never bother to eat another human being is that, from my understanding, typically by the time you and your group have turned to cannibalism as an option. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The people you're eating have also been starving. So you are not getting, like you're still surviving, like you're still alive, but like you're not getting like super great nutritional value out of eating those people. And quite often... Like, um, how would I say this all sounds really bad, but like a a healthy human being actually doesn't produce that much meat because there's like a lot of fat and there's bits you won't eat and you know, like whatever. If someone, if someone is not well and they've been starving themselves and then you eat that person's corpse, you are really, really not getting a lot from that beyond and here's the other the bare yeah, here, bo- like you're surviving right but like you're not yeah really well and here's the thing i don't know about this situation in this like 
in this scenario, it's literally end times. There is right. no food coming back. Like it's not well, going to unless I like tell- unless civilization like somehow like restarts itself or something. But this is like fully end times. So in that scenario, it's like, do I even care? Like, do I want? To keep to again again well, do I want to continue for this to be the end right and then in other scenarios that have happened in real life things like the soccer players in the Andes and right. that part that you're talking about the thing with that one for me is <laughs> the things with things like that is like we could possibly be saved and live a normal life at some point and I will always have the memory of eating my friend <laughs> like I will always know that I ate that you did Jessica's that. leg yeah like I like <laughs> so I don't know if I could like emotionally handle it even if I were really really hungry the other part with a thing like that and also the whaling boat I'd be curious it comes into play again the idea of like how much are we cooking this how much are we making this not appear to be a, a bloody person yeah, because in the Andes, I'm sorry, I don't know how they could do that. They did not have a stove. <laughs> like, they did not have no. anything to, like, season it with. Like, that, you were eating, you, like, cooked it on, like, a fire in the woods. And I'm sorry, no, 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 no. Yeah, I mean, that's, I guess my thing is, like, you're right. Like The, the memory of it, if you were to survive, would be haunting. Um yes. And, and I feel like there's maybe then for me, like no amount of hunger that would like lead me to cannibalism because I would honestly know, I already know that the, the benefit I would get out of eating someone would be so small that it probably is better. Like I would rather just die and not have to survive with the memory of eating Jessica's leg um absolutely that's my thing I guess is like I think I would just opt out entirely and also I mean this might be a really really dumb insensitive question to anybody who's like actually experienced like hunger and starvation but don't like at a certain point don't you kind of stop being hungry anymore once you're like starving yeah, I think that's also mark. true. I think there is probably a point after which you stop really caring very much. Um, I mean, it means it's not good. It's not like no. a, it's like it means that your brain is probably like yes, you are done. You know, failing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so sure. it's not good. I'm not saying I like suggest that, but it it does seem like I would just kind of let nature take its course. Yeah, because I think really it is something, like, it's actually kind of surprising. Like, I think it's that rule of threes, which is, like, three minutes without air, three days without water, three weeks without food. Like, um... Yeah, you can go a... You can go a surprising amount of time. Yeah, you can go a surprising amount of time without eating. Um, But, like, and maybe on, maybe some people could even go slightly longer than three weeks. But, like, um... By the time that hits, you you are miserable. Like, and so, oh, the idea that like eating that person who's right on that edge is like, no, it I'm not going to get something out of this. Like, no, I mean, the the water part would be a problem for me too. If we there was like a water thing and you had to start like 
drinking pee, like I'm in trouble. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's why getting stranded. <laughs> that's why getting stranded at sea sucks because you you've got all that water mm. around you, but you can't actually drink. You can't salt drink it. Water. Um, so in this case, they're extreme democracy. Anyway. Like they they eat people, they take votes, and then they eat people according to the votes. Oof. Um, pretty rough. And so then finally, we're shown that the super super ultra mega wealthy didn't get involved in any of this. They made a plan <laughs> to head off to Mars. And they were going to create a new society there. Um, yeah. But because they're the super rich, um, they, ha- they go to this airfield where all of these um, like shuttles are there, still unlaunched. And I forget which of the robots asked us, like, well, what are they all doing here? Why didn't they just like let people come and like send them off to Mars or wherever? And then mm. one of them is like, look at this. And it's like they press a button and the flamethrowers, like flamethrower can- cannons come out over this, like the fence that's surrounding the perimeter of this <laughs> airfield. And then there's this big pile of human skeletons right underneath <laughs> the flamethrower. So it's quite obvious that like people were rushing this airfield in the hope that they could be allowed to go to Mars mm. with the wealthy people, um, which didn't nope. happen, did not happen. And so I forget which one of the robots says this, but basically I think it might be Elena. She's like, humans in the end chose their own greed um, over doing anything to save the planet um, or to save each other. I think because, yeah, one of them is like, well, if they had all this that money to... Is- that is a scathing review Bleak. and very yeah. accurate. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because like one of the one of the other ones is like, well, if they had all the, building all these ships and like doing all this stuff must have been quite expensive. Like, couldn't they have used this money to like fix their problems? And the other one is like, yeah, of course they could. But like greed prevented them from ever doing anything for anybody else, um, which is similar to in time where the guy is like, I'm not even going to send a thousand hours to this place because right you know like so it's like i can't possibly see outside of my own self so i'm just gonna yeah not do that and i don't care that in fact by doing this i'm fucking over i'm ultimately fucking over myself because everything myself is fucked um and so then it's like well who managed to get up to mars and then we jump to Mars, a Mars community. It looks pretty good. There's a somebody in a spacesuit who's like having a Mai Tai looking out over <laughs> a, a splendid view. And who's inside the spacesuit? Uh, a cat. Yes. The cats I made love it that. off the planet. <laughs> that sounds about right to me. I honestly do think that cats have it figured out. Um they are they have house cats have learned to be <laughs> docile enough that us dumb humans take them into our houses Correct. and as soon as they are in they're like great this is my house now i will do as i please indeed <laughs> and you will feed me and you will clean my shit yeah and i am in charge Yes. So I do, I agree with this, um, <laughs> this interpretation. 
Well, and in fact, what we learn when these three robots initially appear in season one, the cats have taken over the human planet because we learn that Mm. part of what humans did toward the end of humanity's run was to genetically engineer cats to have opposable thumbs. And terrible idea. Yeah, well, because the cat cat comes out and says, like, once we could open our own tuna cans, what did we really need them around for? Oh, my God. So, so, so true. I say it all the time with, like, we have lots of cats. Like, I say it all the time, like, how long, this is another question I have, is, like, if we died in the house, like, how long until the cats, like, just killed us? Oh, not Um, even, like, eat your corpse. Not long at all. Yeah. Not long at all. Like, it would actually, I think you would actually be surprised at how quickly it would turn to. That's depressing. But, yeah, but, yeah, no, our cat, like, I know my cat, one in particular, who doesn't even have opposable thumbs, the amount of destruction she can cause already and the amount of food she, like, steals from us already without opposable thumbs, like, she would, if she had thumbs, we would be so fucked. It's crazy. Yeah. No, I think this is a very good surmisement of where things would go uh, for humanity based on how we're tracking at the moment. Yeah. Um, so in terms of yawns and eye rolls, I think maybe we can maybe do Blend both it. together, I think. Um, mm-hmm. In terms of yawns, one yawn is, yeah, I was not bored. I was paying attention. That's one yawn. Ten yawns is like, oh, no, this was a real snooze fest. (laughs) What would you give this combo platter of episodes? Well, I would say this is probably like one of the – well, both of the pieces together are approximately 28 minutes, separately 11 and 17. So I can do 11 minutes of like pretty much anything. anything. Yeah. Pretty much. I mean – not like um, beheadings or anything. That probably would be no, too no, much. No. But <laughs> of course, yeah, I would think that's quite quick. But anyway, um, I only hope so. Yeah, oh, man. Um. So yeah, short. So I guess I won't say I was bored really, but you know, I still have my attention issues. So I'm gonna say like two slash three. Hmm. Yeah. No, I would say a solid one for me. Mm-hmm. Um, again, primarily because they were so short that like, yeah, to lose the beat of it would have been a real, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It would have been real, like, uh, condemnation of my own brain, I think more than anything. <laughs> um, oh, rough. so yeah, I give it a one in terms of okay. eye rolls. One eye roll is like, I guess, like, how would I put this? I bought into this world and I, I mostly got it. Um, and 10 mm. eye rolls is like, I couldn't tell you what I saw or what was going on, mm. even at all. Okay. I might separate this one for me. Yeah. Um, so for the three robot apocalypse one, I would say I bought into this world. I Like, as we just mentioned with the cat thing, I think this is accurate (laughs) i think it's accurate that humanity would split up into these different factions sure and i think it's accurate that the ones coming out on top would be cats 
So I'll <laughs> go like I'll go one two on that. Like I'm in that. That sure. makes sense to me. For swarm, mm, um, that one I did. Eye rolls is like funny because it's not that it was like eye rolly per se, but did I really get what this world was? Did I understand the point of any particular action that happened? Not really. So I would say sure. that one for me is more like an eight. Okay. Yeah, I mean, they are quite different. I And I was thinking as you were talking, and I've not seen enough of these to speak to it really beyond this and to raise the question, which is like, I wonder if the if you like put all of the stories together of humanity that are depicted in all of these different episodes, if you like worked it out and like put them into like a correct time frame or something, would we have like is it one single story, right? Like are we moving toward mm-hmm. human extinction and it will always be on the same day and it will always happen the same way? across all of these episodes, even though it's an anthology, mm-hmm. or or are they all kind of happening in, like, alternate realities where different things are happening on Earth? Because, like, particularly, like, these two episodes kind of could be read as, like, the swarm is when humanity still has a chance, and they're mm-hmm. trying to think about ways to solve the problems that are plaguing earth and Afrael thinks that if he can get the swarm going then he'll bring it to earth and then that will do something and then like three robots could be like that plan never happened like it didn't work mm-hmm. um so you could say that that it all kind of fits but I'm not sure that that would work across the board so yeah, I mean, I agree with you that the world of three robots seems very intelligible, so I would give it a one. The world of Swarm is harder for me to understand, so I might do a five for that. Um, so finally... Yeah, that's fair. Did you like these, and would you recommend <laughs> this series? Hmm... Well, they're so different. So I liked the three robots one. I disliked the swarm one. Um, sure. Again, the swarm one was interesting for the animation aspect of it. it was cool visually. I, I understand that. Um, would I recommend it overall? Sure. I mean, they're short. So I would say, like, you can pick and choose probably pretty easily. Like, if sure. if I was watching if this, like, of my own volition, I would have, like, started watching this warm one and be like, oh, I don't like this one. <laughs> and then, Move like, to the you next know, one. choose yeah. a different one. Yeah. Uh, it's not, like, a huge imposition. It's not a huge amount of time commitment. So, yeah, sure, I'd recommend it. Okay. If you're yeah. into that kind of stuff. Yeah, I definitely liked the Three Robots one. I didn't particularly like Swarm, although I agree with you, like, visually it was pleasing to take in. Um, it had a kind mm. of Avatar-ish quality to it somehow. Yeah. Um, and then recommendations, yeah, I think I feel the same. Like, have a look at it. It's super short, and there's no reason, like, if you don't like one episode then just go ahead and bounce to the next one because there's you don't need to right. have anything that happened in a previous episode to know what the next one will hold. Um, 
Right. And it's certainly, I guess maybe what I would say is if you're an animation person, whether or not you care for science fiction or not, this is probably worth a quick look with your eyeballs. Sure. Um, because mm-hmm. there is some really cool looking stuff that they've done. Um, and that might be worth your time just for that reason alone. Um, so overall, I would say this has been a pretty good uh chapter of see you next week in space next week will be our 150th episode which is shocking that's crazy indeed um and we will choose a funnish movie maybe it'll be fantastic voyage who's to say i don't know yet i haven't decided um but look forward to that. Uh, thank you, everyone. As always, I am Sarah, and I'm here with Amy, and we will see you next week in space. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of See You Next Week in Space. This is a production by Amy and Sarah Walsh with artwork provided by Riley Brown. If you'd like to learn more about our show, please check us out at seeyounextweekinspace.com or follow us on Instagram at seeyounextweekinspace. Until the next one.